0: You guys may want to make a mental picture of uh, the stage because tomorrow these 100 shoe boxes get dropped off at the designated drop-off area and uh, again I just you know as we as we kind of grabbed a hold of this Acts one Christmas project it's it's cool to see um, how well you guys have embraced it and uh And this is one of three ministries that we've kind of adopted for this season. The other two we'll we'll pick up again here after probably Thanksgiving, but um, it's just just really cool. And so again, in the back table by the coffee, there's uh, some bookmarks and it's kind of like a prayer walk type deal, kind of gives you some ideas of something to pray for each day in reference to these um, shoe boxes. And so I would encourage you guys, if you didn't grab one yet, grab one, Um, even if you don't get a, a bookmark. I would really encourage you to kind of incorporate these shoe boxes into your prayers for the next several weeks as, uh, eventually children will start receiving these boxes and, and that's uh, exciting. So, uh, anyway, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts, Acts chapter five, Acts chapter five. And we're going to, um, we're going to read a, a, a pretty lengthy chunk today in the book of Acts. And, uh, I'm reminded in this story, or leading up to this story, in, in the Gospels in, in, in Matthew, there's a, a pretty neat story. A story that most of us probably, if you've grown up in church, remember. Maybe you heard it as a little kid in children's church or whatever. But most of us are familiar with the story when Jesus fed the 5,000. I just remember Jesus had been preaching and, and teaching all day. He's on a hillside, and people had congregated to come and, and listen to him, him speak. And, and that was pretty normal. But, um, but something different happened. He, he kept going and he and, um, got to be late and he was compassionate in that he felt these, these, these people need to be fed. And so he turned to the disciples and said, hey, go, go feed them. And they have this whole, they didn't have any food, so they collect stuff and the little boy gives them his sack lunch and Jesus is able to turn that into a feast for over 5,000 people. Well, right after that, um, Jesus kind of sends his disciples off. He, he tells them, go off and... Um, go to the other side um, of, of the lake there and, and Jesus was going on the mountainside and he just wanted some kind of alone time and one of the things that was pretty consistent in Jesus' life and something that I believe that we ought to incorporate in ours is this idea of getting alone and spending time with God and Jesus did that and he's going and he's praying and all that kind of stuff and he gets done The disciples have been working trying to try and cross this lake but a storm came in and so they were working they were working they were working almost all night long and they were only able to get about halfway across. And, and Jesus comes out walking on the water. And, and in the midst of this, the, the disciples finally, they see this, this shadow approaching them. And they're a little freaked out at first. And, and finally they realize who it is. And, and Peter begs Jesus to allow him to come in, in, out on in the water with him. And, and so Peter does. And Peter begins to walk on the water just like Jesus was. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that storm, in the midst of all these waves, and in the midst of, of the strong wind and the rain, Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and begins to sink. And Jesus probably reaches his hand down there and grabs a hold of him. And, and finally, as he pulls Peter out of the water, he makes this statement. He says, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? I believe that's a, a lesson that probably stuck in the minds of the disciples, but probably more specifically in the mind of Peter. I think that was one of those, those, those life lessons that Peter would carry with him the rest of his life. And we fast forward, and Jesus had already died on the cross. He's already been risen, and he's already ascended to heaven, and, and Peter and the disciples are doing their thing. They're going. Um, they're, they're telling people about Jesus. They've, Peter and John have already been arrested once, and um, when they're arrested, the Sanhedrin tells them, they they let them go because they have nothing to really convict them on. But they, they're forthright. They just say, listen, you guys can go. We're going to be nice this time. We're going to let you go. But I don't want you going around talking about this Jesus guy anymore. And Peter and John, I mean, before they, they leave, they're like, listen, I, we, we can't do that. We're just going to keep talking about him." And, and and so they go and and they continue to talk about him. And last week, we we. Um, last week, I guess it was last week, we saw this story, the first part of of Acts chapter 5, where this persecution or this strife or this fear that locked the church wasn't something from the outside, but something that happened inside the church, inside the church faith family, if you will. And Ananias and Sapphira were were believers. They were part of this faith family. And I, I, I will tell you this, Um, I I believe genuinely that Ananias and Sapphira were were Christians. I don't think they were um, non-Christians playing or pretending to be Christians. I think they were genuine. But we see this idea of hypocrisy in which they they wanted to get the same accolades that Barnabas received. And Barnabas, at the very end of chapter 4, he went and sold some land and he gave that to the church. And so uh, they want these same accolades. They want, to, they want people to kind of adore them for being so selfless and giving all this stuff up to the church. And so they sell some land, and Ananias and Sapphira decide that they're going to make it appear as if they're giving all the money to the church, but they're going to keep some of it for themselves. And as they do that, for whatever reason, Ananias and Sapphira are not together. When Ananias comes with this, this gift— and as he lays it at the feet of Peter, Peter just starts to question him. And we see here that that the Lord gave Peter some kind of supernatural insight and that story wasn't fully correct. And so he begins to ask him these questions. And um and and Ananias won't back down, and finally Peter's like, listen, you didn't have to sell the land. No one forced you to sell the land. The land was yours as a choice you made. And for that fact, what you did with the money was completely up to you. I mean, you could have used all of it for yourself. You could have given up a a small portion, whatever. No one was asking for it. It was a choice you made. But, I mean, you sinned, and you didn't just sin before us, but you sinned before the Holy Spirit. And like that, um, Ananias was struck down. He, he dies. He breathes his last breath. And some guys come run in there. They grab him. They go and they bury him. And a few minutes later, his wife comes in and they question him and boom, she won't give in the story. And she breathes her last breath. And pfft. at the very end of that passage in verse, I think it's chapter five, verse 12, we're told that this fear gripped the church. This fear gripped the church. That's the first time we see fear in the church. Even when these guys were being arrested, even and all that stuff's going on, the first time we see fear is when they realize that this is serious and, and there's a game that, these, that, that they were playing. Um, They're going to be held accountable for that. So last night, we, last week we talked about this idea of, of sin. We talked about the idea of hypocrisy. We talked about the idea of secret sins in, in our lives and things that we struggle with. And my encouragement to all of us was that we really looked in the mirror and that we... Um, spent some time alone with the, the Lord and, and tried to figure out what those areas in our lives we were, we were being hypocritical about. Um, what areas in our life we might have some secret sins that we need to deal with. And instead of trying to work so hard to cover them up, just give them to God. And so we have this idea and at the very end of last week it was left with this, this notion that the, that the church was fearful. They were afraid. Fear gripped them. And so today we're going to kind of pick up in verse 12 And we're going to read, I'm just going to go read through the end of the chapter and then we're going to come back and we'll just talk about it. All right. So here we go. Acts chapter five, starting in verse 12. And it says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem and more that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, "Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of, his, of this life." And they heard this, and they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the to council, all the sin of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We have found the prison securely locked and guards standing at the doors. But when he opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this, or what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain of the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. That goes back to what Peter and John were told. Yet here you have Filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, so that the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him, verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him, kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by the people, stood up and gave orders to put the people, put the men outside uh, for a little while. And when he had said to them, men of Israel, take care that what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos, Rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from every house to house, or and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. It's a lot of verses, isn't it? Let's pray and see what the Lord has for us. Lord, this morning, um, this is a lot of, of scripture, a lot of material, Lord, and there's a, a lot for us to try and, and dissect. So Lord, I, I just ask that you give us grace this morning, that you allow us to to just maybe grab a hold of a few um, concepts, a few principles. Lord, I pray that you help us, even in the midst of us getting ready to celebrate this um, season of thanksgiving, that you allow us to remember that you are in control of everything, that, that you love us and you want what's best for us. And even though we enter seasons of life that feel like struggle, that you're still there. Lord, I pray that you use your word today to transform our lives, that you bring it to life in us and through us, that, that you help us to become like these apostles, help us to become like this early church, help us to maybe grab a hold of that oh so important statement to be willing to obey God rather than man. So Lord, I just ask that you use this. Lord, I pray that you give me your words, give me your heart, give me your passion. We love you and thank you for all that you've done. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So I, it's, it's interesting as we look at this real quickly from verses 12 through 16, right after they get done bearing Sapphira. I mean, they go out, and, and they continue to tell people about, about Jesus. They continue to preach and teach, and crowds are gathering. And it's interesting, as you go back earlier in the book of Acts, you know, you have the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches, and boom, Luke tells us that 3,000 got saved and were added to the church. And the next time Peter preaches, boom, 2,000 are saved and are added to the church. Well, the number is growing so rapidly now that, that they can't keep track. They can't keep count. Um, some commentators will say at this point in time, as this is occurring, that, that the um, church is, is probably exceeding up to 20,000 people. It's growing at such a rapid pace. And, and so now the number has just been changed to multitudes. And, and these disciples, these apostles, they, they are operating with this belief, a firm belief that, that God is going to use them, that God is going to bless them. And all these things they're doing, they're doing in the name of Jesus. And so all these people start, start coming, in the, and they're bringing their sick loved ones and their family members the, to the point where they're parading them out in the streets, and they're just hoping that the shadow of Peter falls on them. And these people are all being healed. And so God is doing this great, great work. And what proceeds after this, um, this short season of, of blessings, this kind of short season of everything going well and, and these crowds coming, comes another wave of persecution. You know, on this little slide logo, whatever you call it, we, we have Acts, and this kind of reoccurring thing we'll see all throughout the book of Acts. We see the mission of the church, we see the persecution of the church, and then we see the expansion of the church. And they all kind of go hand in hand, and, and as, as they're woven together, um, the mission of the church along with the persecution really results in this expansion of the church. And so um, the Sadducees, the group that we mentioned Early on, the Sadducees kind of replaced the Pharisees from the gospel. This is the new kind of religious leadership. The Sadducees, if you remember, um, I, I told you they were a group that were, were not necessarily overly religious. They were just more concerned with maintaining their own wealth. They, they didn't want to rock the boat too much. They, they, Rome's in charge, but, but Rome's kind of allowed them to carry some leadership. And so they want to do whatever they can to preserve that leadership, to preserve their riches, their wealth, their, their revenue source. And these guys, they've been creating this ruckus. And first it was Peter and John, this cripple. Um, and they were arrested and, and they were told, listen, stop. Just quit talking about it. You can do whatever you want, but just stop talking about this Jesus. And obviously that didn't happen. And, and so all this is going on. These people are being healed. The church is growing rapidly. And so we see another wave of persecution. In fact, as we read this fairly long passage, we really see three waves of persecution that that came in here. And so that first wave is, we we see kind of in verse 17 through 19, where it says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, filled with jealousy. You know, that religious group would begin to take action. And it wasn't built on a desire to um, stop some kind of religious heresy or false teaching. It wasn't, because they were concerned. They wanted to protect the people in the temple courtyards. It wasn't even a a matter in which they wanted to honor God. It was filled with jealousy. Uh, Proverbs, I believe it is, tells us that, that, um, that jealousy can make a man furious. And this jealousy just begins to fill this religious leadership. And they're filled with jealousy. They're, they're jealous, they're upset that here they are, they're the 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 wise, educated individuals. They're the, supposed to be the church leaders, and yet there's no power in their ministry. And this ragtag group, this this guy, this group of uneducated guys, you know, fishermen of, of just lay people. Like they're, they're healing people and these multitudes are coming and thousands upon them, thousands upon them, thousands are joining this church and, and there's so much excitement, there's so much power and they don't understand it and they're filled with jealousy. So they go and this time rather than just arresting Peter and John, they have all the disciples arrested. They're all arrested and they're put into this public jail and prison. They, they, they were doing nothing wrong. All they were doing, is—they in fact, they were helping people. I mean, the they, disciples were helping you know, heal people who were sick. They're, they're going around and they're telling people about Jesus, this, this one um, that could create and, and, and bring eternal life in heaven. And yet, this religious group arrests them, has them arrested. You know, and we see this kind of theme throughout the entire passage. The disciples don't fight back. The disciples don't form protests; they just calmly go. You know, um, it's a it's a poor comparison here. But but as we think of this, we have this establishment that's been created, and it's losing its power base, and they don't understand why. One of the I, one of the things I, I love I love politics. I'm, I'm kind of a lightning rod of a person sometimes. You know, how they say like politics and religion don't go well together. I love them both. I mean, I love talking about them both. And it's not a good recipe. But, but, um, but this, is what I, this is kind of the picture I see. Like, we see this kind of um, as, as the, the elections are coming up in 2016, right? You have all these different people that are kind of positioning for, um, for their political party. And, and what's interesting is, again, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, you can't help but sit back and observe what's going on with the Republican Party, right? And so you have this these kind of the establishment group that's working so hard, but they cannot figure out why no one's listening and embracing them, right? And then you have guys like Donald Trump who every time he sticks his foot in his mouth, his popularity goes up, right? And, and I'm not trying to compare Donald Trump to the disciples, okay? Because I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be a good they probably wouldn't see eye to eye, but it's kind of the same idea here, right? This, this establishment back here, they're trying and nothing's happening. They, they have no power. And these outsiders, they're gaining all detraction. The they're getting all the attention. Everything they do is working. And so this jealousy rages in and they're, and, and they're arrested and they calmly go. And then sometime in the midst of the night, they have a visitor and, and, I think we can see some divine humor, if you will. Because as you read there in um, verse 19, it says, And during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And he said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so an angel appears. This is why I say we have some divine um, humor. The Sadducees, they had had two um, major things that they disagreed with the disciples about. One, was resurrection? They didn't believe that 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 any in, in any form of resurrection. And the second thing is they did not believe in angels. Okay, and so here we have we have the disciples who keep preaching about a resurrected Savior, and then to free them, God uses an angel. An angel shows up and and he and he frees the disciples, and he goes, "Listen, okay. Not only are you free, but I want you to go back to the temple, back to the same spot." where you've been arrested twice now. Back to that spot. What I want you to do is exactly what you've been doing. I want you to go and I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I want you to tell these people about this good news. And so they get out. And I have no idea if... if um, I don't know if they disappeared. They got, became invisible, walk through walls. I don't know if, if, if the angel causes great sleep to go over the guards or whatever. All I know is angel shows up, the disciples get out. Next morning arrives, Anias and, and the rest of this Sadducee group shows up. They're ready to, to go on this trial. They send off for the disciples who are supposed to be in jail, and they're not there. They're not there and they can't figure out where they're at. I mean, the guards, they're all perplexed because the doors are locked, everything's supposed to be as it was, um, but the disciples are not there. And then they get this message that this group, these disciples, are back at the temple, and they're back preaching, and people are responding. And so this sets them over the edge again. And so you have this second wave of, of persecution, in which they send the, the, the guards back down to the temple back to arrest these disciples and they 're brought back in and they 're so filled with anger that they just want to kill they want to kill the disciples they want to kill them all be done with it all and and here we have this kind of a, a quick introduction in verse 33 about this Pharisee. Now, the Pharisee, remember the, the, the Sanhedrin's a, a religious kind of Supreme Court group. It was made up of 71 men, and, and it was a mixture of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Sadducees and Pharisees did not like each other, but this one guy, Gamaliel, who was like the head guy, he was the one that they all respected. When, when he would speak, everyone would stop and listen, and Gamaliel just tells them to just take a deep breath and wait. And he uses these two examples of of people they had seen in the past, this Theodos and this Judas, who who were both guys that that tried to create this insurrection, that that tried to create um, this idea that they were Messiah-like. They were going to come and they were going to rescue Israel, the Israelites, and break them away from Rome. But he he referenced that both times these guys would come, they they would get these followings, but it, it, it all failed that once the leader was, was killed or, or, or arrested or, or done with something with him, that they would all just kind of dissipate. They'd all leave. And so he said, guys, like, let's just let it take its course. Because like, one or two things are going to happen. Like, either these guys, um, they're just trying to create a scene, and, and they won't have enough um, resources to continue this, or it's legitimate of God, and if we go against them, then... Um, then we're going to be going against God, and that's not going to be good for us. And in a somewhat surprising fashion, the Sadducees agree with him. Here's the, the kind of the sad part of this story, is here you have a man who stands up, who, who applies the brakes, but yet he's blinded. You see, he doesn't use or accept the same logic that he's talking about. He, he doesn't take the time to consider if those men were truly men used by God. He, he doesn't stop to investigate if this was legitimate or not. Here he's telling them to pause and, and let it play out when the reality is they're being faced with a life and death decision a decision that would hold eternal consequences. And his idea is, just, let's just wait and see what happens. Let's, let's, play, let's play neutral. And we can't help but understand as we read the gospels, as we read and, and understand Jesus' teaching, Jesus clearly tells us that when it comes to him, we can't be neutral. It's impossible. It's impossible to stay neutral with God, that that we're either going to choose to accept him or choose to reject him. And and the sad part with this Gamaliel is that he, as he takes this form of neutrality, is is actually saying that he's going to reject God. We'll read the name of Gamaliel later on in the book of Acts, as we understand that Gamaliel ends up being one of the Apostle Paul's chief teachers. And so the disciples appear to get off easy. The Pharisees decide that, listen, we're going to hold off. We're going we're to withhold killing them. And it comes by almost so briefly, so quickly, that we, that we may even not fully grasp it. But in verse 40, it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. You guys remember around Easter time we talk about Jesus. When Jesus was arrested. And, and, and we can recall the, the account when the Roman guards took the cat of nine tails. And would lash the back of Jesus. They, they, they take that, that whip and it would be made out of leather and in most cases, it would have three ends. And in that, those tails, if you will, there would be a mixture of rock or glass or, or sharp objects. So as, as the whip would go across the back and around the stomach, as the one guard would yank back, it would grab a hold of the flesh and rip it off of the skin. It would, before the the guard would even do his first initial lash, they would strip down the person of all their garments and, and in public there lay them out for all to see and then proceed with 39 lashes. That's the exact same beating these disciples endured. One by one. They would have their garments torn off and experience 39 lashes. That third wave of persecution. For us, this idea of persecution is um, foreign. We, I think as Americans, would flatter ourselves if we thought that we faced something similar to this. I mean, there are places in the world that this type of persecution are, occurs, but it, it's nothing that we typically face. For, for most of us, the, the type of persecution that we may face is um, maybe being mocked, being laughed at. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the idea that people call us stupid. They think we're ignorant. And sure, there could be some bully-type things that happen, but, but not to this magnitude. And so as we think about persecution, like it doesn't always it's, always, it's not always easy for us to understand or comprehend. I think over the last few years, we've, we've seen things change. We can turn the TV on now and, and we can see all this horrific stuff occurring and even in our own country're we 're beginning to see some of that tide change a little bit. But as I was considering this passage i was I was thinking in, in our lives how oftentimes we can be doing what we feel god's calling us to do we can, we can we can be doing or, or living a life that we think um, is honoring to god like we we're we're doing the best. We, we know that we're we're not perfect. We're doing the best we can in our marriage. We're doing the best we can to raise our kids up to know God to love God. We're doing that. We're we we're in church. We're 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 helping clean the church. We're we're um we're bringing stuff for shoe boxes. We're we're tithing. We're reading our Bible and we are memorizing verses. We're spending time in prayer. We're doing all these things that are like are good, but that doesn't always mean life remains good. Like, even though all those things that we're doing are good, and we're sincere in that, and we know Jesus, we love Jesus, we hit those bumps in the road. We hit those, those times of, of just challenges. We, we, we feel it maybe in our work, we feel it with our children, we feel it in our marriage, we feel it with our finances, whatever. We maybe feel it in our health, extended family, but, but It hurts. We don't understand it because we think that we're doing everything right. So it should be a reward to have a nice, easy, peaceful life. But then as that speed bump occurs or arrives, we begin to wrestle with God. If we're sincere, we may even begin to question God. It's not fair, God. Like, how could you allow this to happen? He was such a good guy, or she was such a, a great woman. How would you allow something so tragic to happen? God, I've been faithful in my tithing. I mean, I'm giving, I'm, I'm supporting the church, I'm, I'm doing all those things. And how could you allow this financial collapse to occur? God, I'm trying to raise my children the way you would have me raise them. I mean, I, I'm telling them, about, I mean, we do group prayers. We pray before every meal. We read the Bible. We're doing all this stuff. Why do they keep making dumb, rebellious decisions? In my marriage, Lord, I, like, I, I don't know what else I can do. Like I'm, I've given it all to you. I, I don't understand. It's hard. And here we have these disciples who keep doing exactly what they're told. I mean, they're out there. They're preaching in the temple. They're going, and they continue to tell people. They continue to tell people. They continue to tell people. They're arrested. They're released. They're arrested again. An angel comes, lets them out, tells them to go back and preach. They do exactly what the angel tells them to do. This time they're arrested, and not only are they arrested, they're beaten. It doesn't make sense. I love the response that we see from the disciples. Verse 41 After they all went through their lashes it says then they left the presence of the council maybe if you have a bible you might underline this rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. In the midst of this horrible, dreadful, painful persecution, the disciples leave smiling, singing songs to Jesus, rejoicing that they were able to go through a small portion of what he did, what he went through for us. And despite the persecution, despite all the threats, despite the beatings, it didn't change their method, didn't change their beliefs, didn't change their teachings. They just kept at it. They kept praising Jesus. They kept telling others about Jesus. If anything, this being they went through only gave them more energy. At the beginning of the message, I reminded us of that, that night when those disciples were in that boat when that storm was taking place. When Peter would go out in that water only to take his eyes off of Jesus Begin to sink when Jesus would reach down and grab hold of his hand and lift him back up. I can almost in my mind see those disciples as this is all transpiring, recounting that story and maybe many other stories in which Jesus never left them. Didn't mean that life was easy, didn't mean that there weren't challenges. But Jesus never left them. Jesus was there the entire time. In fact, it was Jesus who lifted them up. It was Jesus in this story who who sent the angel to break them free. It was Jesus who would protect them, who would continue to protect them. And these disciples knew that if it was God's will, no matter what the circumstance was, that God would help them and protect them. That no matter what man may throw at him, no matter what or how horrific it may appear, that nothing was above the strength and the power of God. I mean, we saw, as we went through the book of Daniel, didn't we? When I mean, We saw Old Testament, and, and no doubt these guys knew the Old Testament. We saw it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they would not bow before this idol. And they gave basically the same response to the king that, that the disciples give to the, the Sanhedrin here, that they, they would rather obey God than, than man, and so they wouldn't bow, and they get tossed in this fiery furnace, a furnace that was so intensely hot that the guards who took them to the furnace died, yet they remained alive, and Jesus was at their side. Daniel himself, Daniel chapter 6, when we know the, the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, That you have this this new law that takes place that they're no longer allowed to pray to anybody but Darius the king. But Daniel himself says, no, I'm going to go continue to pray three times a day to my God. He remained faithful to God. The result of that was being thrown in the lion's den. But God spared him. My encouragement to us this morning, as we look at this passage, as we consider this lengthy passage... For us, it might not be the idea of of looking at this through the lens of persecution. For some of you, it may be. Some of you may be facing that in your workplace, in your family, or whatever. Some of it is maybe a persecution, but for, for most of us, it's probably this idea that we're trying to live this life, and we keep running into a wall, and we struggle with that. We struggle with the understanding that God uses those times to prepare us, for something else for some of us we might need to take the lesson from these disciples and how they were so laser focused on one thing one thing and we'll see it all throughout acts they did one thing time after time after time and it was simply to tell people about jesus that's all that's all they did was tell people about jesus And they would do it. They would do it in the temple courtyards. They would do it in homes. They just couldn't tell enough people. And folks, the church grew because of that conversation. And so for some of us, maybe we need to say, you know what, no matter whether my life is good or bad, no matter what challenges I'm facing or what I'm not facing, I just need to start focusing more on telling others about Jesus. I don't know how this passage may or may not affect you. To me, it was a great reminder in this season of Thanksgiving when life is so easy to to sink into these wallows of complaints and criticisms, to step back and be reminded of how great God is and all the things he's blessed us with. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the things you've done for us. Lord, I pray that, that you take this passage today that you use it as you see fit. Um, You're the author. You're the one who wrote it. You wrote it with a divine purpose. I pray that you allow us to um, just apply it where we need to apply it in our lives. Whether it's, whether we find ourselves in a spot where we're just struggling and we don't know why these things keep occurring, that we just need to give it up to you. We need to understand that you're the author and the finisher. You're the great physician. And and this passage here, the, the disciples turned as they go to the Sanhedrin and they said, listen, we'd rather obey God than man. They said, he's our Lord. He's our Savior. And some versions will say that he's our leader. He's our physician. He's the one that can solve the problems. And so for some of us, God, we just need to, Remember that you're our leader. You're our savior. And we need to do our best to quit wrestling with it and give it to you. Lord, for some of us, maybe it's just a renewal, just a a reminder that, God, the time that we have is so short. It's like a vapor. And we need to take advantage of every single opportunity that we have. To tell others about you, that we need to be focused on that. That we live in a world, in a community of people who are dying and going to hell. For most of us, this next week, as we get together with, with family, that we'll have family members that have not accepted you as their Savior. May you give us the strength this next week to take advantage of the opportunities that we have. That we begin to pray right now, that you give us the words to penetrate those people. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you just work in a great way. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.